0: Uh, for our teaching time this morning, we are returning to the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and in just a few minutes, we're going to read verses 19 through 24. So if you have a, a Bible or a touchscreen or a phone, you want to want to turn to that passage, or in a moment, it'll, it'll be on the screen. Uh, but the question that we want to wrestle with this morning, begin to wrestle with this morning, is a question of temporal wealth versus eternal wealth. Uh, I want to start out by asking the question, what does the culture say, what does our world say? about the importance of temporal wealth, about the, the money, the wealth, the, the possessions you can gain in this lifetime. And I'm going to give you three quick quotes. I think they're all pretty representative. They kind of all say the same thing. The Irish uh, writer Oscar Wilde said, when I was young, I thought that money was the most important thing in the life. Now that I'm old, I know that it is. Uh, Mark Twain said, the lack of money is the root of all evil instead of the love of money he kind of took a little twist on scripture. And then that brilliant thinker, Bo Derek, and if you're like under 40, you can ask somebody else who Bo Derek is. Uh, whoever said that money can't buy happiness simply didn't know where to shop. Now we, we laugh about that, and we chuckle about that, and, and there, there's certainly some humor in it. Uh, but that speaks of a worldview. It, it speaks of a culture that believes that the accumulation of wealth is one of the highest uh, noble pursuits that anyone can be about in their lifetime. You've seen the bumper sticker, the guy who dies or the person who dies with the most toys wins, right? Is that the pathway for disciples of Jesus? Is that what Christ is calling us to? Or is there a radically different message? Uh, I want to suggest that as you hear uh, these verses that are read, and actually for Uh, a good portion of the rest of chapter 6, we will be uh, wrestling with the teaching of Jesus that challenges our thinking in this area. Jesus is going to say something very, very different than Mark Twain or Bo Derek had to say about temporal wealth. Uh, Therefore, let me give you the, the sermon in a sentence. The challenge of every disciple of Jesus is to have his mind, have the mind of Christ, when it comes to both temporal and eternal treasure. You see, it's not just looking at one, but it's looking at both of them appropriately. It's understanding the correct balance. And the verse that we're going to continue to put on the screen every Sunday morning, just to remind us of kind of the overarching theme here, is from Psalm 86. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. What does it mean To Be a disciple of Jesus and have an undivided heart when it comes to the topic of temporal and eternal wealth I think there are two sides to this coin So we're actually going to take two weeks to study the verses that i'm going to read for us this morning Uh, This week, we're going to look at the do not part of the statement. Jesus will say do not do certain things do not think certain ways. We're going to look at that section this morning, and then next week we're going to look at, at his counterproposal, where he says, but do these things. Think this way. So this morning we're going to get kind of the negative message. Next week we'll get the positive message. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Hear the word of God. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we come now to uh, the time in our service where we seek to worship you with our minds, with our intellect, with our reasoning and understanding. Father, we need this word so desperately in our lives. Very easy for us to be one-dimensional Christians, to be emotional about our faith on Sunday and then go back into the world and and be completely uh, unchanged by the powerful work of the Lord Jesus. So Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you want to teach us this morning. Lord, you're hitting close to home here, talking about Wealth, and we're Americans living in the 21st century, and uh, that's one of our gods. It's one of our idols. It's one of the things that we worship. If we're going to be honest about it, that's the truth. And so, Lord, I, I wrestle with this as I prepared it, and I got uncomfortable. I imagine my friends will maybe be a bit uncomfortable this morning as well, but I pray that that discomfort would come from the Holy Spirit. If that is your will, And if there are areas in my life, if there are areas in our lives that need to change, either in simple ways or in radical ways, we pray above everything else that you would create within us undivided hearts that would be devoted to the Lord Jesus first and everything else a radically distant second. So Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't. Father, don't let me stand in the way of what you want to teach us this morning. Forgive me my sin. Lord Jesus, please come and teach us, we pray in your name, amen. Well, I'm going to give you four observations out of this text this morning, and every one of them is going to start with the same phrase. The phrase is this, when it comes to temporal wealth, don't. So every, every time we move through this, we're going to start with that sentence, but we're going to plug in four different observations out of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 9, uh, 6, 19, through 24. The first of these four is this. When it comes to temporal wealth, don't focus solely on the present. Don't focus solely on the present. Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in steal. Now, there, there's a couple of notions to this idea of layup. What exactly is Jesus talking about there? Well, on the one side, there's the technical definition, which simply means don't amass, don't store, don't hoard wealth as a means for personal security, because it will always disappoint. Why will it always disappoint? Well, because you have a lot of things working against you as you're trying to lay up your treasures on earth. You have moths and rust, and you have thieves that break in and steal. In other words, the creation itself is hostile against you. (laughs) You have things working against you. If if the notion is to lay up as much as I can uh, in this lifetime, there are going to be things that fight against that. Uh, it, It doesn't fail. Every spring I put my sweaters away, and I get out the mothballs, and I zip them up, and I take really good care of them, and I put it away, and it never fails. And when I come back, and I open them up in the, in the mid to late fall. There's always going to be at least one that a moth got to. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I, you know, I can't find a hole in the bag anywhere. And I'm like, well, maybe it ate it before I put it away last, you know, at the end of last winter. Creation itself is, is working against us. But there's also our fellow man, is there not? If anybody in this room has ever experienced identity theft, that's a miserable, miserable thing to have happen to you. Remember when, when Schnooks got hit by that, I think it was about a year or so ago, I was out of town about, I don't know, maybe a month after that happened, and I was with a friend, and we were at a golf course, and we were going to play a to golf, and I gave them my card, and I didn't get, uh, I didn't get dinged in the Schnooks thing, but, but we, we shop at Schnooks. And so I handed the, the woman my card and my money, my account had plenty of money. in it to play around the golf, and she said, I'm sorry, this has been declined. Isn't that a great feeling when that happens to you? Don't you just love that? You know, just look at, hey, everybody, look at me. My card's been declined. Don't you wonder what's wrong with me? Um, so I'm like, no, run it again. And, she, she, and I said, well, maybe it's, you know, because this, the, this deal that happened. And say, so anybody that's ever been in that situation knows that even, even our fellow man is out to get what we think is ours. And so Jesus says it would be really inappropriate, it would be really wrong to focus solely on the present and just trying to amass and and, and hoard all of this wealth. But there's more to it than that, just kind of the technical explanation, the actual uh, action itself. There's also this notion of do not lay up means uh, gaining temporal wealth at the expense of your eternal investment. You see, if you're busy with one, you may tend to neglect the other. So a simple question that that we could ask coming out of this passage on this first point is, how much time this week did I spend intentionally laying up eternal wealth? Now, that may be a bit of a nebulous question. You may say, well, Tom, how do you go about that? And this is a great commercial because, like I said, come back next week. We're going to talk about that. So you got to at least be here for for two weeks in a row. We're going to talk about what that means. But I think if you've been a disciple of Jesus for even a little bit of time, you understand that notion. What does it mean to have the emphasis of my life, regardless of what my my earthly career is? You don't have to be a preacher, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a church staff to take seriously the discipleship of the Lord Jesus and, and, and his calling on our lives to make sure that we are busy about investing in eternity. And if we're consumed with one, it will come at the expense of the other. So Jesus begins by saying, when it comes to temporal wealth, don't be focused solely on the present. The second thing Jesus teaches in this passage is when it comes to temporal wealth, don't ignore your own behavior. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your tre- Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I were preaching that sermon, and praise God, I wasn't the preacher of that sermon, I would have flipped those two things. And I would say, find out where your heart is, and then you'll discover the things that you treasure. And Jesus says, no, 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 <laughs> look at the stockpile. Look at wherever you're spending your time. Look at, look at whatever it is you're amassing. That describes the condition of your heart. And so Jesus says, when it comes to temporal wealth, don't ignore your behavior. Your treasure is that which provides true security in life. You see, Jesus isn't speaking against treasure in this passage of Scripture. As we'll discover a little bit more next week, he's just wanting to get us to the correct treasure. He's wanting to get us to focus on that which will bring true, meaningful richness into our lives forever. And therein lies the tension. And so Jesus says, if I look at your treasure, I will will be able to see The thing you assume is providing you security and providing you life. Because your heart is what? Your heart is that emotional attachment, is it not? You say to somebody, I love you with what? All my heart. You're trying to express your undying devotion that there is no divided heart within you, that that you are attached to this person. You, you want to, to love this person well. So you say, I love you with all of my heart. You're, you're my highest priority. You are that which I most cherish. And Jesus says, I can look at your behavior and I can see whether or not you cherish an eternal treasure or you have more of a, of a heart connection to a temporal treasure. And again, just notice the order. Treasuring reveals the true condition of our hearts. Uh, I was reading recently an an article that was written back in January of this year in the New York Times, and the uh, title of the article is, When is Enough Enough? Uh, And this particular article was not looking so much at our culture in general as it was kind of the new generation of bankers that are coming along, folks that are between, uh, let's just say 40 and younger, and kind of how they were looking at the world. But the notion was under the idea, you know, how much is enough? And he gave, uh, the author of this article gave an absurd example of how our our lives can really get out of whack on this idea of of our heart being in the wrong place. And he talked about a a man at 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 a company called McKinley and Company who's trying to change the firm's culture, he says he was doing so to make sure that the company was not linked to more scandals like the one involving former executive, and I'm not sure I can pronounce this guy's name, Raja K. Kupta, Mr., or Grupta. Mr. Grupta was said to be worth $100 million when, according to authorities, he risked his reputation and freedom to supply insider information to his billionaire friend, Mr., and I can't even begin to pronounce his name, who ran the Galilean group, a hedge fund, and had talked of, invest, of an investing idea Mr. Grupter had. $100 million, and he risked it all and, and ended up losing the vast majority of it because it wasn't quite enough. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When it comes to temporal wealth, don't ignore your behavior. Thirdly, when it comes to temporal wealth, Jesus teaches us here, somewhat on a similar lines of not ignoring your behavior, don't trust yourself. Look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus is going to do a little metaphorical teaching now. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of life. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What Jesus is saying here is that if you assume that you're seeing clearly, you're in probably a dangerous position. You are at a vulnerable place. If you just go through your life saying, the decisions I am making about the accumulation of temporal wealth are perfect, I have no problems, this is not an issue in my life, chances are you may stub your toe at some point. Chances are you're not looking at things maybe the way you should. When, uh, when we were on vacation uh, we were staying at a friend's guest house. I think I mentioned that last week. They had a pool table. And we were playing pool one evening, and I was walking around the pool table, and we we're inside, and it's a warm summer evening, so I'm, I'm barefoot. I got a shortened t-shirt. And I'm looking at the pool table, right? I'm, I'm, I'm looking over here, and I'm walking around the table to kind of figure out what's the next shot I'm going to miss and uh, and lose the game for my team. I'm the worst pool player in history of the world. And uh, as I'm walking around the pool table, I wasn't watching where I was going, and in the corner over here the pool table was one of these Bowflex weight machines, which is all metal, okay? And I'm walking around the table, and I'm walking a pretty good clip, and I'm looking at the table, and I walk right into the Bowflex machine. I absolutely shattered one of the toes on my left foot. You should feel very bad for me. It really hurt a whole lot. Um, And it immediately swelled up. It got to be about three sizes bigger than it should have been, and my whole uh, front part of my left foot turned black and blue, and I almost missed my golf game two days later, which would have really been a disaster. But I assumed I knew the way. (laughs) I assumed I could walk around the pool table, and, and nothing would be problematic with that. And in the safety of this wonderful, beautiful guest house, I broke my toe. Jesus says, don't trust yourself. Don't assume you know where you're going and that you're okay. That puts you in a very precarious position. Conversely, I think what he's saying here is assuming you don't see as well as you could might be the better place to begin. If your eye is bad, I think that's probably a rhetorical statement. I think Jesus is probably saying your eye is not as good as you think it is, so be careful not to trust yourself. It would probably be wise if you got into the spiritual discipline, disciples, of checking your motives on a daily basis, of of looking at your own heart and trying to look at it as clearly as you possibly could. I want to come back to this article just for a second and read you a little bit more of what the author went on to say, now in particular about this group of people uh, to whom he's speaking, the the young bankers. He said those young bankers may be asking themselves questions about what is enough that previous generations did not and still don't. When you ask people, and talking about folks in this group, what's your number? They'll throw out one and say, 10 million, he said. When they get there, I can't tell you how many people say, well, maybe I need to work on another couple of years and get it to 12 or to 15 million. When you ask them what's changed, they're baffled. They do not know. The notion that the way I think And the way I approach temporal wealth is always automatically correct as a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And Jesus says, don't do it. Don't go there. Don't trust yourself. Fourthly, not only does Jesus call us to not focus solely on the present, to not ignore our behavior, and to not trust ourselves, and when it comes to temporal wealth, Jesus also says, don't attempt the impossible. Look at verse 24. No one, Can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, Every once in a while, people say to me, Tom, I, I appreciate the fact that you share about yourself from the pulpit. And I have to tell you, that wasn't an original idea with me. I didn't come up with that by myself. I learned it from somebody. The person I actually learned it from is Jesus. Look at this statement No one can serve two masters. That includes Jesus. That includes the preacher of this sermon. Jesus says, I cannot serve two masters. And Jesus was God in the flesh. So what makes me think if Jesus is wise enough to say, I can't serve two masters, that I could do better than jesus that i can say lord no i really have it. you you just you, you missed a couple things you know you lived in ancient palestine there were a lot of stuff that that wasn't available to you in those days and and there's you know there's not a lot of new technology lord i can serve two masters i understand why you couldn't could you imagine saying that to to the king of the universe i understand why you struggle with that but i'm okay with that i mean it just it's crazy isn't it and yet that's how we think sometimes and yet jesus is our perfect example Not just by going to the cross and and paying the price for our sins. But he taught that we must pick one. And he always chose God. You can't find a place in the scripture where Jesus is bought off by anybody. You can't find a place in the scripture where Jesus lowered his standards in order to have a divided heart and pursue something to his own gain. And I mentioned the cross a moment ago because that's where that standard led him. It led him to the cross because the religious leaders of his day would have let him off the hook if he had simply reeled back in on some of the things that he was saying about this world in particular about them. And yet Jesus says, I'm sorry, I can only do the will of my Father. That's all I can do. I can't think in a different way. My mind won't function like that. I can only do that which he has sent me to do. I can only speak that which he has put in my mouth. And so Jesus says don't attempt the impossible, but he doesn't exclude himself. He says it's, it's the same for all of us who carry around a human body. To try and buck this, to try and go in a different direction, to try and balance these two things impossibly is an exercise in futility and frustration and failure. So I was trying to think of an image of absolute futility. What would be an exercise of futility? And I came up with this image, which I think is really a great <laughs> picture of this. How many times is this kid going to win this fight? It's not going to happen unless you're making a movie and he has, like, some superhuman strength and he can fly around the guy and, you know, th- it, and make it make-believe. But a 1,000 times out of a 1,000 times these two people wrestle, that guy over there is winning. It's impossible for him to win that battle. Put your name, careful where you put it because they're not dressed appropriately, but, you know, right? I'm going to write Tom right there on, on his shoulder and... Serving two masters over there. It's literally impossible. Jesus says, why would you bother to attempt the possible, impossible? Not only because it won't work, but also clearly from this passage of Scripture, it's not in your best interest. Jesus isn't telling you to be careful about how you approach temporal wealth and telling me to be careful about how we approach temporal wealth with, with an eternal mindset because he wants to rain on our picnic, because he wants us to be miserable. Jesus says, and it's recorded in John's gospel, I've come to give give my followers abundant life, to give them an overflowing life. Jesus is wanting us to refocus. He's wanting our hearts to become undivided so that we will experience true joy in this life as well as a real perfect joy in the next. We may not get there in this life. You and I may not ever handle earthly wealth perfectly. In fact, we probably won't. We will probably make mistakes. We will probably fight this a little bit and go back and forth. But what's the application this morning? How can we get on this journey? And I know probably a lot of you are on this journey. I talked to a lot of you and I've learned so much from people in this congregation about how to look at my own perspective on this topic. Uh, Because pastors earn a living too. and, uh, And we have responsibilities for our households as well. So as we think about the don'ts, as we think about being careful not to focus solely on the present, as we think about what does it mean to to not ignore our behavior, to not not trust ourselves, or not to attempt the impossible, what are some maybe steps that we can take? And I'm going to give you just four thoughts this morning. It certainly does not include everything. You could... Sit down with this passage this afternoon. You could come up with probably 100 more. But hopefully, my, my intention here is that this will get the juices flowing. It will get us thinking a little bit in this direction so that when we come back next week and we begin to talk about moving in a positive direction, we'll have the appropriate context. I just came up with something as simple as every year, at least once a year, you ought to question your budget completely. You know, Just look at the whole thing and just question everything not like you're going to, you know, find out that, you know, you're some evil, terrible person. You might. And if you do, that's okay because Jesus loves evil, terrible people. I know because he loves me. But every year, at least one time, sit down and go, you know what? Am I doing this the right way? Go back and read Matthew 6 and say, Lord, am I I aggressively seeking to store up treasures in heaven? Where am I wasting my time? Where am I attempting to do the impossible? Where am I ignoring my behavior? Lord, would you please show me that? And I'm going to look at my checkbook to find the answer. I'm going to look at how I'm actually living my life, and I'm going to question everything. My guess is, because I tried this this week, and I'll tell you, it's a painful process. You're going to find some stuff, and you're going to go, that just doesn't feel very good. But that's God's Holy Spirit working in our lives, which leads me to the second uh, suggestion this morning, and that is repentance and alignment. Repentance means acknowledging that, that I haven't gotten it right an area in my life where, where I've spent inappropriately or I've been uh, less generous than I should have been, whatever the case may be, where I'm not thinking eternally, I'm thinking too much, putting too much weight on the temporal, I need to bring that to God and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness for that because that's a sin. Because I have a divided heart. I am guilty. There's nothing wrong with saying that. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. That's the first step to, to a life-giving forgiveness that Christ can give. But once I do that, once I say, you know, Lord, I, this, is, this area of my life is wrong, I need to then be willing to move it into alignment with His will. I need to be able to say, okay, Lord, I, I want to be able to, sh- to shift here. You're not the one that needs to change. I don't, need to re- I don't need you to come back and preach the sermon and throw in a few different words here to make me feel comfortable in Matthew 6. My Behavior. My thought patterns need to shift in a different direction. And i just give you one very simple example. There, again, there's a lot more you can say about alignment, but Jesus is teaching on giving 10% of what we have, which in Christian terminology, maybe you've heard the term the tithe. Tithe literally means, in the, the old Hebrew word for tithe literally means 10%. And if you go to Matthew 23, where Jesus is fussing at some religious people for getting things wrong, he talks about how faithful they are to tithe down to the very tiniest portion of their spices. But then he says, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and peace. And he goes on to to confront them. But then he says this, you should have practiced the former without neglecting the latter. In other words, Jesus says, it's right for my disciples to get to a place of tithing, of giving 10% of their income. That's a good thing to do. Well, there's an alignment. If my life is out of whack with that, to the negative side of it, I need to prayerfully figure out how I can move in that direction. Might take a year, might take two years, three years, I don't know. But am I committed to moving to my life aligning with the direction of my Lord Jesus? And Jesus says, basically, you know, we're all in the same boat in this. There's, There's not a difference between... Uh, what he's calling us to do, and what he's setting the example uh, of his own life, of giving everything for us. Uh, one other notion maybe in this line is set a give more annual goal for yourself. You, you might be giving 20% of your income. Maybe next year give 205 uh, whatever the case may be, and maybe there's an area where you know there's a need and nobody else knows about it, and you can just jump right in and meet that need. You don't have to blow a bunch of horns and talk about it, but you could you could do that, and you could you could give a little more. You could make a, a little bit bigger investment in eternal things, so to speak. And sec- or lastly, don't trust your eyesight. Partner with a friend. That's just coming back to, uh, to these verses earlier where Jesus says, chances are your eye has some problems. I had 20-20 eyesight when I was younger. I had 20-20 eyesight till I was about um, 34 years old, and then something terrible happened to me when I was 34 years old. I studied ancient Hebrew, (laughs) (laughs) and ancient Hebrew does two really weird things. It reads from right to left instead of left to right, and there are no vowels in ancient Hebrew. They actually put in the, the translators put in these little teeny tiny symbols next to the already really hard to read letters to, to, for the vowels. So you wouldn't be like, you know, uh, tall, T-A-L-L, and the A is the same. No, the A would be like this little, you know, dot under the L. And so you're kind of reading ancient Hebrew like this. And that's where my eyesight went. That's where, that's where I began to lose it. So that now, if I take these glasses off, sermon would be, you'd probably rather I preach without glasses because I can't read that right there. And sermon would go a whole lot quicker. But when I put it on, I can, I can see it. I think what Jesus is saying is you've got to get some new glasses. You've got to get, you get the glasses that I give you. The glasses that allow you to see things for what they really are. To see that the internal investment is for your very best good because I love you, I'm dying for you, and I don't want you to waste your life chasing something that will not last. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word, uh, challenging though it be, talking about uh, wealth in a Western church where, in all honesty, wealth means quite a bit to us. Father, I thank you for the people in this congregation who set a great example for many of us and are are so generous and are, are much further in their spiritual journey than I am in this particular area. But Lord, every one of us needs to have an undivided heart. We need to have the mind of Christ when it comes to both temporal wealth and eternal wealth. And so, Father, I pray that this morning as we thought about the things that Jesus said not to do, that you would burn those lessons into our hearts, that we would be able to be honest enough and humble enough to reflect on that and for you to apply your word to our lives. Lord, to the end that we could be set free from, from the burdens that the world lays upon us. And as disciples of Jesus, we can be joyful in following him every day of our lives. We pray in his name, amen.